0: Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us uh, to be together, to gather together as God's people, and to sing truths, uh, to pray, prayers that remind us of the truth, that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we face, God is with us. The God, through Jesus, always finds ways to show his compassion for us. Uh, and then as Bradley and Kim reminded us around the table, that no matter what we're going through, this wonderful gift, not only of God, but of this community, to remind us that we are never alone. We're continuing this morning with our, our focus, our study on the Gospel of Matthew. And we have, we've covered a lot of ground in the last handful of weeks. Uh, we've told a lot of different stories uh, about Jesus. We've focused our hearts on the amazing things that we see there and we experience there, and today is going to be no different. Because just after Jesus has compassion on the crowds, just after he feeds 5,000 men, not to mention all the, the women and the children that were there as well, there's this strange moment that Matthew doesn't actually mention. You have to turn over to John. To figure out why it is that Jesus is in such a hurry after feeding these 5,000 men. And, and the reason that that, that number and, and the reason that Matthew takes the time to say it's 5,000 men is something's going on in that crowd. John tells us that the people who've gathered there together, they start to look around and they think we've got enough men here to start a revolution. And we'd really like you to be our leader, Jesus. We'd really like you to be our king. We want to set up another kingdom in opposition to the kingdom, the empire of Rome. And I think there's at least some degree of chance that Jesus is concerned that some of his own closest friends and followers may be caught up in thinking, yeah, 5,000 fighting men is a pretty good force, why don't we think about this? Why don't we strategize? Why don't you start to lead some kind of, of earthly revolution to, to overthrow the power of Rome and, and, and find a way to help us experience again the truth that we are your chosen people? I think Jesus is nervous that his, his 12 closest disciples are going to get caught up in that moment and think, yeah, enough of, of all this teaching and talking, enough of doing miracles here and there, Jesus, we want you to change the world right now, so let's do it. Instead, Jesus rushes the disciples onto a boat and says, get out of here. And you know, I think, brothers and sisters, there's times when we come to church and we bring with us all kinds of hopes and expectations of who we would really like Jesus to be in our lives and in our world and if we're completely honest, I think there's lots of Sundays where we come to this place, where I come to this place, and I just think, man, I, I'm so tired of the way things are going in our world. I'm so tired of the people who are in power misusing that power or, or not knowing the best ways to use it. I, I'm, I'm weary of... The the ways that our world is separated and divided between the haves and the have-nots and the way that people resent one another and the place, the life that they have, I'm ready for it just to be over right now. So Jesus, just change everything now. Be the kind of leader I want you to be. Do the kinds of things I think you should be doing. And we come to this place every week. And I think if we'll let him, there's times that Jesus basically comes to us and says, Hey, those aren't my hopes. Those aren't my dreams. That's not what I'm here to do. And you need to figure out how to have a kind of urgent patience. An expectation not for me to do what you want me to do, but for me to be who I truly am supposed to be. Don't get caught up in all this. Don't get carried away. So that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. If you got the Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew 14 starting in verse 22. It's while all this stuff's rippling through the crowd. It says, right then, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. And when he sent them away, he went up onto a mountain by himself to pray, which if you remember, Bradley told us this morning, that's what he was trying to do already with his day. And it got sidetracked by all these people. So he's trying to get back to what he was originally setting out to do. So this evening came and he was alone. Meanwhile, the boat, fighting a strong headwind, was being battered by the waves and was already far away from land. Very early in the morning, he came to his disciples, walking not around the lake, not close to the lake, but walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. And the only thing that could make sense to them was it was a ghost. They were so frightened that they screamed. I'm guessing that's part of the story they didn't want included. Here it is. And just then, Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. Now, that word order is the king's command, Right? So if it's you, you command me with the power of a king to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. Uh, the only way you see a, a wind is what it's doing to the water and the waves and all the things that it's throwing at you, right? Right? And he began to sink, and he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, you have shaky faith, why did you start having second thoughts? Uh, more on this in a moment. <laughs> when they got into the boat, the wind settled down, and then those in the boat realized who they were with, some of them for the first time, and they worshiped Jesus and said, you're not just some earthly king. You must be God's son. Now, this story that you don't have to have grown up going to church to have heard before, right? It's, it's one of the, the best stories we have of what it's like in terms of following Jesus and the, and the experience of, of what it's like for us when we find ourselves in situations that we cannot deal with on our own And yet, we have to figure out, okay, how is Jesus going to help us when we find ourselves in that place? And I want to just point out to you that the only reason the disciples are in a boat with a strong headwind is because Jesus made them get on the boat and said, go that way. So don't you think they were a little frustrated? He's already, in Matthew, called the storm, So they know that if he wants to, he could have told the headwind, hey, wait a little while, let my people get off the lake. And he doesn't do that. And I think it's so important for us to realize, right, that there are times in life when doing exactly what Jesus asks us to do leads us into unexpected challenges. That that we think we're being obedient, that we think we're trusting, that we're trying our hardest To be the kinds of people we feel like Jesus is asking us to be, to head in the direction that he's asking us to go, and things suddenly get harder, not easier, and we think either we've made a mistake or he has. All of us in this room, regardless of where we are in our journeys of faith, we know what it's like to try to do the right thing, and suddenly things get more difficult, and we think, why, why? You know, in a world like ours, if we're going to be people of truth and not people of spin, it's going to make life harder, not easier. To tell the truth about our struggles, to tell the truth about our setbacks, to tell the truth not only of the things that we want people to see, but to tell the truth about the things that that only grace would give us the courage to share. If we're going to live in a world where everybody's looking out for themselves and we're not going to look out for ourselves because we're going to trust that there's plenty more where that came from, that that's the kind of God that we're following, that's the kind of God that we're serving, well, guess what? There's going to be times where you and I don't get all the shiny, flashy things that this world has to offer, and we're going to have to wrestle with whether or not we're content with what God has given us and what God has blessed us with. Are we going to have the courage to keep sharing we're not. There's going to be times in our lives when we have to stand up to the powers that be in this world and say, "What you're doing with the amount of power you have is wrong. What you're doing is taking away the humanity of someone else." And we're not gonna we're not gonna sit by quietly while that's happening. Every time the church has found the courage to stand up to the powers that be in the world, the church has paid a price. If the church isn't paying some kind of price for resisting the ways of the world, we're probably not resisting the ways of the world. This isn't a one-time thing that happens. When we trust and when we obey, there are going to be moments when we run into challenges precisely because we're trusting and we're obeying. And the question is, are we going to keep going? Are we going to are we going to give up? Are we going to turn around? Are we going to go back to the shore of all these worldly expectations of who we think God should be and who we think Jesus should be and how he should make our life easier? Or are we going to hold on to the truth? You know, that's not just true as individuals. It's, it's definitely true right now in this moment in time in the life of the church And I don't just mean our individual congregation, I mean the church universal throughout the world. We are facing headwinds. It is getting more and more difficult. It is not your imagination. In fact, I want you to see this quote from Patricia Brown. In speaking to to church leaders, she says, There is so much anxiety about the future of the church, it's as if church leaders are driving into the future with hands clenched on the steering wheel and eyes firmly planted in the rearview mirror, wishing they could go back there. Now, my guess is it's not just church leaders that have adopted this posture of holding on tightly to the wheel, not knowing what's going to happen next, not knowing what life's going to look like next, and just looking into that rearview mirror th- thinking I just can't we just go back can't we just go back the problem is last time I checked there is no reverse in this car it doesn't work that way i know we wish we could go back jesus isn't asking us to go back jesus is asking us to fight against the headwinds and the question is do we trust him or not Do we have courage because we trust him? Are we struggling? Are we telling ourselves we can go back? Right? We, we, can, we can. We can turn back the clock. We can, we can go to a world that was simpler, that, that seemed like things were more in our favor. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, every time we do that, we're just, it's like we're, we're using nostalgia as a kind of anesthesia to put us to sleep to life, And we need to be awake. We need to be awake to what's happening, and we need to know where we're going, and we need to trust that sometimes when things get harder, that's a sign that we're going in the right direction and stay the course. Sometimes the very things we fear the most become the pathway Jesus takes to reach us. Those disciples, they had to want to be anywhere but the middle of that lake, in the middle of that that wind that was fighting against them and they couldn't find a way out of. And it is actually the surface of that lake that Jesus is going to use as the pathway to get to them. And there's a reason they think he's a ghost. People don't walk on water. It's not a pathway. Unless you think back mm, all the way to Exodus When I think I remember a story about God's people being trapped beside the Red Sea and they they can't figure out how there could possibly be a good future for them and suddenly there's a pathway across that sea. There's dry land where there's not supposed to ever be dry land. And this time Jesus does something even more amazing. It's, it's not that the wind pushes the water away. It's that he just decides the quickest way to them, you know, he could walk around and wait for them, but the quickest way is just to walk on the water. So that's what he does. And they are so used to having realistic, logical expectations that instead of believing that it could possibly be their savior, their leader, the one who's done, he just fed thousands of people because he felt like it. And they still can't get their hearts and their minds wrapped around that it, it could only be him that's coming to them in this way. That when they need him the most, it doesn't matter the distance, it doesn't matter what's separating them, Jesus always finds a way to us. And if we are so focused on the water, and if we're so focused on what's realistic and logical and what makes sense to everybody else in the world, we're not even going to see that he's coming closer, that, he's, that he's, just, he's just there. And if we could lift our eyes up to stop focusing on what we can do on our own to keep this boat floating, if we could, just, if we could look on the horizon very early in the morning, right? if we could look towards the sun, And believe that a new day is coming. We might just find that it's not the sun that's rising. It's the sun of God that's drawing near. Man, I want to have a faith that believes that even though that's not possible, everything's possible for God. Everything's possible with God. And that we spend so much time being afraid of the worst case scenario and things falling apart and things not working out that we, we... Obsess on all the things that that we need saving from instead of focusing the eyes of our heart on the one who's going to save us. What are you the most afraid of? I want you to say it right now in your heart. You don't have to say it where anyone else can hear it. What are you the most afraid of right now? Other than a long sermon. (laughs) Failure. I'll go and you don't have to go second. I'll just, I'll go first. Failure. Failure. I mean, in this room, failure as a church leader because I'm, I'm really aware of all the headwinds that we're facing. And I'm watching other ministers at other churches who are doing everything they can to try to keep their boats floating and they're not sure it's gonna work. But if I take just a couple of seconds longer to think about all of who I am and who I want to be. I'm not just afraid of not being the kind of church leader I want to be. I, I'm afraid of the kind of father I'm failing to be. I'm, I'm afraid of, of being a failure as, as a husband in terms of being the kind of, of partner that I, I promise to be. To Lauren, I don't know what you're afraid of. We're all afraid of something brothers and sisters, we give way too much space in our hearts and souls to fear. But if you don't take the time to name it, you don't even know what you're running from. You don't know what Jesus needs to save you from. So what is it? Because I'm telling you, whatever it is, brothers and sisters, Jesus is stronger He's better. And he has given everything to ensure, to promise to you that when he comes to you in the midst of that moment, this is what he says to us every single time. Don't be afraid, it's me. It's me. Sometimes I'm so afraid All I can hear is my own heart racing and I can't hear the voice of Jesus. And I need to find at least enough courage to listen and to hope and to dream and to believe that whatever it is we're going through, Jesus is stronger, Jesus is better, and Jesus has made promises to us that he will not fail to keep. And in that kind of confidence. I think, brothers and sisters, we need to do what Peter does here, who moves very quickly from being terrified and screaming to deciding, that looks like fun. I'd like to do that too. Why don't you tell me to come on out to the water and let's see how this works? Right, We, like Peter, in the midst of all the things we wish we had, we had it in us to overcome on our own. We realize we're not on our own. We don't have to beat all of this stuff that, that frightens us and scares We don't have to overcome on our own. Jesus will fight those battles for us. Once we can internalize that, that truth and that reality, it's then that we say, okay, well, what, what is possible with you? Well, anything's possible. Let's try this. And we should be in our prayer lives asking for Jesus to do what only Jesus can help us do. We need to dream again. We need to hope again. It takes courage to hope, right? You're setting yourself up for the possibility that it might not happen and you're going to be disappointed. And then where are you going to be? That's why so often when we pray bold prayers, we always scotch tape a little bit of an escape clause for God. Where it's like, God, we'd really like you to, to use our church to reach people we've never reached before and, and to be present in our community in ways we, we don't know how to be present yet. We, we pray for all that, but we understand if that's not what you want to do, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Why wouldn't God want to do those things? Our prayers are limited in ways, not just because of the way we talk about it, but I think part of it is we'd really like to ask God to do things through us without having to use us. Guess what? Doesn't work that way. You want to walk on water? You got to walk on water. You can't pray about walking on water. You can't say, man, that looks amazing. I see all these other people trying this out. No. At some point you have to say, give the command. The same command that you used a couple of chapters earlier in Matthew to still the wind and the waves, you give that command to me and tell me to walk on the water. Do it. Man, I want to pray with that kind of confidence. I want to pray with that kind of confidence about not only my life, but our shared life together. Look, the reality is in so many areas of our lives, we've just been trying to make it. Just been trying to hold on. And I know, but didn't it, didn't it feel great, even with all the Ziploc baggies? Didn't it feel great to pass communion like normal people? It's a minor miracle. It's a miracle. It struck me this morning as we were passing those baskets. I was like, I've never felt closer to the story in in Matthew 14 in my life. Because I took it for granted. But when when we think about, okay, what is it that we're going to ask God to help us do? Man, I hope we don't just pray for God to help us pass communion to one another. I mean, I know we've been praying for the world to get back to normal, but we have to get past just barely making it. This church is called to seek and save the lost with the Savior of the world. That's not just barely making it, and it's not just looking at ourselves and hoping we have enough and and trying to make sure that we don't take any risks and we don't step out in faith. This whole story is about stepping out in faith when it looks like it's crazy. Peter doesn't care. He's going to try it. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to become the church that this world needs, we're going to, have to, we're going to have to have moments where it doesn't make any sense, we're going to try it anyway. And we're going to trust that Jesus is going to carry us. I want you to notice this, uh, this translation of what, what tra- usually gets translated, o, o you of little faith, why did you begin to doubt? Or why did you start to have doubt? Nate, bring it up. Okay, I spent hours this week looking at, there's another way to say this, at the Greek, I'm sorry. Okay, I spent hours looking at it, and it's a really poor translation to say, oh, you of little faith, why did you start to doubt? First of all, the word for little there is inconsistent, right? Shaky, because Peter has some pretty amazing faith, to try to get out of that boat at all. It's that once he gets out there, he looks around and he starts having second thoughts because he's trying to walk on water. That's not just doubting. The Greek term for what's happening there is you come to a crossroads and you don't know which way to go. Right, it's it's a choice where you're overthinking it. And, And I relate to that because I have places in my life where I could stand firm and say, I only do this because of my faith. And I feel good about the strength of my faith in this area. But then I have other places in my life where I'm just, it's like I'm learning how to walk in that area of faith. And it feels like trying to walk on the water. It, it doesn't make sense to me. And it makes me uncomfortable. And it makes me worried. And I'll just confess to you, one of those places in the life of church is finances. I get really nervous when it comes to, okay, we're all giving sacrificially to this place, and how do we make sure that what we're doing with it is not just blessing us, it's blessing everyone around us? How do we do that, and how do we take faithful risks for the sake of the kingdom? Man, I don't want to do that. I just want to save a bunch of money. I just want to make sure we have a bunch of money for you know, a rainy day or a storm when we might have to keep the boat afloat. But I don't have the the moral imagination to see that Jesus is going to get to us one way or another and we're going to do the things that we're dreaming of doing because of him, not because of us. Now, I don't know what it is in your life, in your faith journey, where you say, okay, over here, I've really developed, I've grown. I don't struggle with that anymore. I see the world the way God does in this area. But all of us have places in our faith where we're just still learning to walk. And it's like we're walking on water. And the question is, are we going to keep going or not? Are we going to keep trusting? You know, I think when it comes to the second thoughts Peter's having, I don't think Peter's having second thoughts about Jesus' ability to walk on water. I think he's having second thoughts about his ability to walk on water. That's the problem. He trusts Jesus to do it. He's watching Jesus. He's been watching Jesus long enough to scream until he could see his face. And said he thinks, what am I doing? What am I doing? How did I get here? A church that has the courage of the kingdom should find itself at times and places where we're asking, How did we get here? What are we doing? We all have shaky faith, don't we? And we all have second thoughts. Because here's what I want you to, I want you to hold on to this, okay? Walking on water, water, it's it's there's no doubt it's a miracle. It gets all the headlines and how you know we think about the story. That's why the title of the sermon is Walking on Water. All of us want to be able to do that. I mean, we'd rather read about Peter doing it, but still. Right? We, we, we all want to have a place where we think I could do that. But I actually think that what the story's trying to assure us is. As much as walking on the water is a miracle, so is starting to sink beneath the waves and finding that Jesus is always right there, ready to save us. That that's a miracle too. That you shouldn't expect to walk on the water and not get wet. And I just—I'm not just talking about the spray from the wind and all that. I'm talking about you start to sink. This isn't walking on a waterbed. This is walking on water. There's going to be moments when we start to, to go beneath the surface and we, we see the limits of our own, our own ability to trust. Again, not so much that God, we, we all believe God can do anything. What we struggle to believe, what we have second thoughts about is can God do anything through us, with us? And this story tells us he absolutely can but the wonderful news of the gospel is, look, there's going to be times when our shaky faith, it's strong enough to get us out of the boat, and then the second it gets us out of the boat, we're going to start to try to find our way back. But our salvation's not behind us. It's in front of us where Jesus is waiting to reach out and take a hold of us. I'm sorry, I'm almost done, I promise. Don't, don't worry, don't worry. I kind of feel this way about this story. Okay. Can't somebody else do this? Can't somebody else take this risk? And once I've taken the risk, Jesus, can you promise me that it's all going to be smooth and it's all going to go exactly the way I expected it to go? This pretty much goes, by the way, how I would expect trying to walk on water to go. It's not anywhere in the Bible. But I've always hoped that at some point after the resurrection... Peter took a stroll on the lake. That he realized that it was going to be okay because even if he took the sleep of faith and he started to sink, he wasn't really walking on the water anyway. He was walking on the shoulders of Jesus. And yeah, there may be times that we go lower into that lake than we want to go, but I'm telling you now, we're not going to hit the bottom. We're not. I promise you, brothers and sisters, we're not. And, and I want to say something to you. It's a reason I mentioned the, the financial stuff that always gets me stressed out. You know, I confessed to you just a couple months back about Harvest Sunday that we had a goal that felt like in the wake of global economy and all the things that were happening that that goal seemed like it was just too much to ask for. It was $450,000, I think. I've actually forgotten the goal because we're like at $673,000, Right? That's walking on the water as a church. Then I get nervous that when you guys give that way to missions, you're gonna redirect away from regular giving. Man, I could find anything to worry about. (laughs) It's my spiritual gift. Okay, so, guess what I found when I started looking into the January giving to the regular giving? This is the best January we've had since 2018, back when the world was normal. That's walking on the water. And I don't like it, (laughs) but I need it, and so do you. Man, we need to be brave again. We need to find our courage again, and we need to know that Jesus is asking us to go places that are harder, not easier, better. But they're not places we can get on our own. The question is, as a church and as individuals in our lives, are we going to find a way to try to learn how to walk again and believe that even if we stumble and fall and even if we start to slip beneath the waves, Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He will never let us go. Do we believe that or not? It's not a matter of words. It's how we're actually going to live our lives. Do we believe it or not? Man, I'm betting everything that we do. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. And I I hope and pray uh, that as we sing together as God's people, as we think about the week that's ahead and the month that's ahead and the year that's ahead, right, I want us to hold on to the truth that this isn't our kingdom, it's, it's Jesus' kingdom. And no matter what else is going on in our world, Jesus' kingdom is alive and well and reaching people, and I want us to be a part of it. You, me, all of us. I want us to be a part of it. Please stand together now. Let's sing.